What's up, everybody? After a two-week break, the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast makes its long-awaited return. Today, we're going to talk some March Madness, some big moves in the NBA and NFL, and also a little bit of Major League Baseball with opening weekend coming up. Episode 38 coming at you right now. Everybody and thank you for tuning in once again. I'm Landon Pangburn along with my brother and co-host Preston Pangburn. We missed last week due to some personal reasons. Just we're busy with work, busy with family stuff, but we are back at it tonight with a lot of sports updates going on. P, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited for tonight. Got some Monday Madness, Baylor and Arkansas on at 10 p.m. Eastern time, which is just an offensive time to be playing, but excited to fall asleep during the end of the first half. You know I'm a big fan of the boycott. This is one of those things that makes me want to boycott college basketball. You can't be starting a legit Elite Eight game at 10 p.m. on a Monday night. People have work. Yeah, it's insane. Like I get if it's the Super Bowl or something, but come on, play this a little bit earlier. I don't know what we're doing trying to appease all the West Coasters out there and making us go to bed late. But anyway, before we get too much into that, first things first, you just celebrated a birthday this past week. The Did big, I? Did the I? big 32. Yeah, Magic Johnson year. Yeah, how'd you celebrate? I closed re- closed on my refinancing of my house. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that is go. incredibly appropriate for that age. Yes, rip some Mexican food. Yes, I, yes. I was present. Uh, yes, you were. I went to the Beltline on Saturday, so it was a good weekend. Nothing nothing too crazy going on. The birthdays get a little bit less exciting as you get older. Nice. I'm happy for you. Well, I, I have some birthday-themed surprise trivia for oh, you. Oh, man. And All right. I was going to wait until we got into the NBA segment of the show, but since you literally just said the Magic Johnson comment, okay. uh, it's based on that. So number 32 is the most commonly retired NBA number for NBA franchises. Wow. 11 franchises have retired 32. Can you name three of those franchises and the player for which the number is retired? Shaq. With who? With, I would guess, the Lakers. Was he 34 in the Lakers? Was he 32? He had to be 34. He was 32 for the Heat. That's, that is correct. Okay. Um, so he's, and he's probably retired for them because he won a championship with them. Yep. Yeah, okay. Ooh, 32, 32. That's, this is harder than I would have imagined. And also, whenever there's pressure, things get, things escalate quickly. They do, but you're you're really tricking yourself right now. Remember why I started this? Because it was my birthday. Yeah. Do you remember the comment you made immediately after you said after I said that? Magic Johnson. Yeah. I thought I thought you said other than Magic Johnson. No, no, no. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Well, then, yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with him then. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes, that's one. Okay. So like three of these, I think you can get like maybe four, maybe five. So I, I didn't want to exclude Magic. I didn't think that'd be fair. Okay. So you've got Magic on the Lakers, Shaq with the Heat. Yes. For some reason, it, I, this might be wrong. For some reason, I'm thinking in my head that Hakeem Olajuwon might have been 32 for the Rockets. Is that wrong? He is not on the list, so I reckon that's wrong because he's got to be retired. Yes, I came the dream was pretty I, good. I would think so. <laughs> All right, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a lot of crap for this because I should definitely get this right. No, if put on the spot like this, I don't think I'd get it. But like when you hear them, you'll be like, oh yeah. There's got to be someone for the Celtics with how with their long history. 
but I can't think of which of those guys, like maybe Kevin McHale. That is correct. Okay, there we go. Bang. Cool. cool. There we go. All right, I'll take it. All right, who else we got? Yeah, so the other ones I thought you might get are Carl Malone with the Jazz. He wore 32. Yeah, I'm embarrassed about that. <laughs> Julius Irving, Dr. J with the yep. Nets. And I, I would have thought Sixers. I guess the Nets retired his number 32. Interesting. Bill Walton with the Blazers. And then, other than that, a bunch of guys. Billy Cunningham, Sean Elliott, Rip Hamilton, which I thought was hilarious. I didn't know the Pistons retired Rip Hamilton's jersey. That's kind of sick. Yeah. So Julius Irving is the most surprising one to me because I always think of him as number six for the Sixers, right? Because I feel like, isn't that the reason LeBron always wore number six for the Olympics and then when he was on the heat because it was in honor of Dr. J? I didn't know that, but maybe. Yeah, I think that's the story. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, there you go. Good question. I like it. Thanks, Yeah, you kind of nailed it, right? You got three. I got three. It counts. I'm surprised you got Mikhail over the others, but anyway. Hey, win's a win. All right, so you nailed the trivia. Let's go back to some madness talk. So first things first, number one overall seed, Gonzaga. Absolutely dominant, 83-65 to win over Creighton. This one was never really close. Your boy, Drew Timmy, rocking the Fu Manchu, led the way with 22 points after he scored 30 in the last round. I mean, they look borderline unbeatable, but I don't know. What would you think about this game and Gonzaga moving forward? They look really good. And just as far as the eye test is concerned, I've been saying this to people I've been talking to since the tournament started, is that when I watch all these games, I think that Gonzaga and Baylor, to me, clearly stand out as the two best teams. And I think the reason for that is just because of top-level depth. As far as a lot of these teams have like two guys that can hurt you, and then they've got three guys or so who are kind of playing a role and are decent players, all five of those Gonzaga starters can hurt you. They're all really, really good. So that's just a tough team to beat. They've got inside game, outside game. They've got some athleticism. They've got they've got a lot of three-point shooting. They're really, really tough. I think they're now 28-0 on the season. And they plus they have like four games at the end of last year. So they're on like a 32-game winning streak. I know that this year they've only won one game by single digits. So they're not just beating people. They're blowing kids out, and they look really good. Yeah, they want Bama. They, they do. Yes. It's actually really confusing to say that now that Bama is actually a legit basketball program. But anyway, yeah, Gonzaga, they just they look pretty incredible. And it's the sign of a good team when you can just beat people in a lot of different ways. And it varies night to night who your leading scorer is. Like their, their best player in terms of who's going to translate the best of the NBA is clearly Jalen Suggs. But right now, Drew Timmy's been their best player in the tournament so far. And then another guy like Corey Kispert, he's potentially a lottery pick in this year's draft. And he had kind of disappeared last game and they still dominate and won by 20 points. He was, so the, it's like, he was the conference player of the year. Right. He's averaging, I think he averaged 23 a game exactly. during the regular season. He's nasty. He took, I think, one field goal attempt in the first half of last game and they were crushing them. Yeah. So they can have guys have bad nights, take nights off, yeah. just, you know, still beat the crap out of you. So, And then those two guards though, Ayayi and Nemhart are both really, really good players too. Like those guys can hurt you. I think uh, Ayayi hit three threes in the first half last game and Nemhart, who's a transfer from Florida, is also a stud. So you know, they just got five deep. They only play seven guys under normal game. They ended up playing like 10 last game because it was such a blowout. But in typical games, they only play seven guys and the two off the bench don't play that much. So it's really like, it's just their starters. So they are prone to foul trouble and they are prone to injury risk. But when those guys are healthy and they are playing well, they are going to be very difficult to beat. Yes, they are. So they were the first team into the Elite Eight, and they will be playing USC, who beat Oregon 82-68 to in a nice little Pac-12 matchup. Pac-12 has been just absolutely incredible in this tournament so far, but USC, I'm kind of excited about them moving forward just because I think they present a little bit of a different challenge for Gonzaga that they haven't seen 
too much of this year. Uh, UFC, USC, they've got the Mobley brothers. Evan Mobley is a guy I feel like the nation is just kind of starting to collectively figure out about. Potential top 10 pick, just super smooth for a seven-footer. What do you think about USC? Yeah, they're dangerous too. Evan Mobley looks like a praying mantis out there. He like, does. I don't know if you saw that dunk that he had all over homeboy last night, but he just like somehow caught the ball towards the perimeter and then ended up dunking with two hands and it looks like he didn't even have to move very far in between somehow he just covers a lot of ground he's like one of those Giannis type guys who because he's so long covers a lot of ground in a hurry but yeah they are very long very athletic and given his skill level and a couple other guys on that team that can really play that's gonna be a tough team to contend with I really look forward to seeing them play Gonzaga because I think the only way a team like Gonzaga can lose is if they play someone long and athletic and I think USC has those answers exactly and you mentioned earlier foul trouble with the lack of depth you know, in the front court is something that Gonzaga could get in trouble with. So not just Evan Mobley, his big brother, Isaiah, he's 6'10". You know, he's long, lanky as well, plays good defense. So that's going to be a different challenge. And Isaiah and Evan Mobley, just the most recent example of younger brother superiority. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. Lamella Ball definitely has solidified that. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. As far as the matchup is concerned in that game, I think it's going to come down to can the Mobley brothers play together at the same time and cover all of those three-point shooters that Gonzaga has? Or will the like converse come into play? And because of all that size on USC, will Gonzaga, like you said, get into foul trouble? So which, whichever one of those two things happens, I think is going to give that team the advantage. you got to lean Gonzaga just because of how dominant they've been all year. But I think it's going to be the most interesting test they've had so far. Yeah, for sure. And it's I think they're a nine-point favorite. So Vegas isn't sweating it too much, but something to look out for. And then another one seed who just dominated their way into the Elite Eight in Michigan. I mean, people were concerned about them coming into the tourney after losing Isaiah Livers, who's one of their starting forwards, senior leader of the team. But they've just kind of cakewalked so far. What do you think about Michigan? They've looked really good. And like you said, surprisingly good, given that yeah, injury concern. I mean, part of it is that I thought Florida State looked terrible. Like, have you watched much of them? I, I have not watched much of them, but I watched this game, and yes, they looked bad. They just turned the ball over way too much, and you got to give Michigan credit. But yeah, FSU just looked sloppy. I was talking to my my homeboy who went to FSU, big FSU guy, and he was telling me before the tournament started how good Scotty Barnes is. And I looked it up, and Scotty Barnes is considered like a top 10 pick in this year's draft. He's going to leave after his freshman year this year, go to the draft. Like People were talking him up. He was a really highly touted recruit coming out of high school last year. I watched them play in, I guess, like, I watched at least parts of three games. I didn't see him do a thing. The guy does nothing. He's like 6'9 and can handle the ball, but I have no idea what value he brings to a, a basketball team. He didn't do anything. Which is funny because he could end up being a really good NBA player, but they're so young, you just never know how they're going to grow over the next... Yes. I mean, you, you evolve so much as a basketball player from 18 to 21. It's For sure. Just, you have no idea. For sure, but just my point is I was disappointed in his performance. But yes, Michigan has been surprisingly good, and I think they're a force to be reckoned with. Did you watch that game? Uh, I watched parts of that game. I didn't see the whole thing. One of my biggest takeaways, and I was texting Tanetti about this because he's a big Michigan fan. So his name's Mike Smith is the point guard for Michigan. And he looks tiny out there. He looks like J.J. Barea, like he's the fastest guy alive, but he's so small. Uh, and he's listed as 5'11". you you got to watch this guy. He cannot be taller than 5'6". <laughs> <laughs> he's representing short guys out so you're there. Saying Shout that, out. So you're saying if you play for Michigan, you'd be listed as 6'4"? Easily. Okay, nice. <laughs> yeah. Love I mean, that. it's insane, but Love he's got, that. he's got big hair. So maybe that factors in anyway, look out for Michigan. They look pretty special. And if you get that one, one matchup in the final four between Gonzaga and Michigan, that's going to be a lot of fun. Doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, 
it's electric. Gotta love those one-one matchups in the final four. Yeah, it's just fun to see you know the teams who belong to be there on the collision course, just squaring up with each other to go to the Natty. But let's move on to the next one. More Pac-12 love. UCLA took down Alabama in overtime. That was a pretty incredible game. Bama just could not hit any free throws. I think down the stretch they they finished they were like eleven for twenty-five. The last I saw it was eleven for twenty-five. Yeah, including but, uh, a couple really really hurtful ones at the end when they were trying to keep it close and then maybe went at the end of regulation and then over time it was just a beat down yeah they got fouled down one with like what 10 seconds left and herbie jones missed both yeah so brutal got bailed out by his teammate with that buzzer beating three that was amazing to watch but yeah they just kind of pooped the bed in overtime but ucla moving on ucla is tough the games I've watched of them, they're really, really good. Juzang and Hawkes, which they have they have some of the best names on that team. And then what's the guy with the crazy hair's name? Oh man, I can't remember. The one who kind of looks like Ziggy Marley. So dad said, dad texted us and said he looks like a combination of Motley Fool, Bob Marley, and a court jester. And I thought that was pretty accurate. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's a strong combo. I kind of like that. But yeah, they are really, really good. And those guys are just tough, especially down the stretch. Juzang is a Kentucky transfer. He didn't like the role he was given on Kentucky. So he was a highly rated recruit, made his way over to the West Coast. But yeah, they are a tough team, especially those two guys. Like, I feel like in the tournament, especially when you get down towards the end, the most valuable thing you can have on a team is guys who can create their own shots towards the end of a shot clock. And I think UCLA has got two of those who are really, really good at that in Juzang and Hawkes. So when you have that, I think you're going to be, be a dangerous team if you can keep it close. Yeah, that's strong. You got to have shooters. And like you said, that create their own shot. Hawkes hit that absolute dagger three in overtime to put them up by seven and pretty much ice the game. But yeah, they're a team to watch for. The Pac-12 has just been the kind of Cinderella conference of this tournament. So it's been fun. So going into the Oregon-USC game, the Pac-12 was 11-1 in the tournament. So now they're 12-2 because obviously they got a one like win one in that one. But yeah, uh, by the way, homeboy for UCLA's name is Tiger Campbell. Tiger with a Y. That's sick. Really? Yeah, with the, with the great hair. His, Love that. His hair on this picture on his ESPN profile is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm trying to, who does he remind me of? Didn't Alfred Payton come into the league with some absurd hair like that? He did, but it was smaller than that. Like, that is crazy. <laughs> Uh, who's the guy? Lonnie Walker. Yeah, Lonnie Walker had some sick hair. He's he shaved it since then, but yeah, he had yes. some crazy hair too. Google Lonnie Walker Spurs draft and go to Google Images. Yes. <laughs> the hat just sitting on top of that yes. hair looks so funny. That's I love awesome. it. <laughs> so I feel like Lonnie Walker had taller hair. Tiger Campbell has wide hair. <laughs> he could probably barely fit through a door because his hair is so wide. Right. All right. Well, let's move on from the hair. So the Elite Eight begins tonight, and we are watching Houston and Oregon State as we speak. I think Houston's up, what, 34 to 17 at halftime? Correct. The Two Beavers, touchdowns and a field goal. Yes. The Beavers did not come to play. They're kind of getting dominated right now. So we got to assume Houston is moving on to the Elite Eight. So, I mean, they've looked pretty good this tournament. They are super athletic. If they can hit their shots, I mean, they can beat anybody. But I, I can't say I know a whole lot about Houston you were telling me earlier about their leading scorer who's your boy yeah Quentin Grimes really good player really good three-point shooter although he's been a little bit cold from the three-point line during the tournament but once again he's the kind of guy that can get a shot when he needs to and so he has a chance to lead them a long way yeah and they had Illinois in their bracket go down early so they should be the favorite to make the final four out of that one so that's fun and then the, the late game as we mentioned earlier at 9 57 p.m which is just so egregious we got the Baylor Bears against Arkansas who you got well, you know, you know who I got partially because I think they're the best team or one of the two best teams along with Gonzaga, but partially because it's in the family. We got to go sick and bears. 
Oh, I'm, I'm big on the Bears. They're favored by, I think, seven, seven and a half points. I, I think they get the win tonight. They've just got the the guard trio, you know, Jared Butler, Macy Oteague. Who's the other guy? Who Davion am I forgetting? Mitchell. Davion, yes. Love him. Yes. We, were, we were talking about it. Andy was like, is he related to uh, Donovan Mitchell? Because he's a D Mitchell. Where's the 45? It's like, I would have thought the same thing. Yeah. But those three are really good. Then they got Matthew Mayer with the mullet. Yeah, like, Matt Meyer off the bench is really good. That's his. He has the best mullet I've seen in a long time. And also, he's one of those guys who, when you watch him, when you look at him, and then you, when you watch him play, he plays much differently than he looks. Like, you'd think he'd just be kind of like a not very skilled, kind of scrappy guy. Maybe spot up for the occasional three, but he's kind of like a slasher. He, like, makes plays. He's a really valuable guy for them off the bench. Yeah, he is. And it's, it's funny you say he plays differently than he looks. <laughs> I mean, he kind of goes with, like, that Larry Bird, like, redneck look. So, yeah, yeah you're either going to be Larry Legend or just kind of horrible at basketball. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I guess he's somewhere in between. But definitely pulling for the Bears tonight. I think they've got a good chance. I have them losing the national championship to Gonzaga and I've still got a good shot in that bracket so let, let's just get me there and see how see how it goes let's see uh, see what happens we're going to be in Waco Texas in just a little bit over a month for uh little sis's graduation yes we are that's nuts maybe we'll be there for the parade maybe they'll delay it for our arrival maybe but how is she graduating from college if she's 14 years old is that that's my question it's, yeah it's happened way too fast <laughs> but we're also going to be in dallas uh next weekend so if baylor wins we get to watch the final four with laurel yes she's hype. just going to be a nervous wreck she yes. cares so much <laughs> yeah she's <laughs> not watching tonight i'm not sure she knows they're playing yeah <laughs> well she'll definitely be asleep either way yes. well that's all we got for the madness let's move on to the nba so we had the trade deadline pass last week had some big moves you got victor oladipo to the heat Aaron Gordon to the Nuggets. Uh, the Clippers traded Lou Williams to the Hawks for Rajon Rondo. And, you know, playoff Rondo playing for the Clips could be a big deal. They chased him this offseason and didn't get him. So that's huge. And then post-trade deadline had some big signings. Had LaMarcus Aldridge to the Nets and Andre Drummond to the Lakers. So some big moving pieces around the NBA. Lando, who was your, your kind of winner of the trade deadline, would you say? These are all really interesting moves for different reasons. And this might be, I might be in the minority on this, but I think the most interesting move to me is Rondo to the Clippers. Just because of what the Clippers have lacked the last few years in terms of mental fortitude and leadership, I think that last year they just kind of fell apart because they didn't have anyone who was going to call anybody out. They didn't have anyone with any balls, really. And Rondo brings exactly that. He has a history of winning. He's done it with multiple teams. People look up to him. He's a you know savvy veteran. He brings the toughness on the court and off the court. I think Rondo's just attitude and leadership on that Clippers team, who's already talented enough to win a championship, is a big move. I think you're right. And like you mentioned, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, really good players, really good, you know, two way guard or two way wings, but just not quite the type of personality that leads you to a championship. Rondo is going to be huge for that locker room. I think we talked about this on a past episode after the NBA finals last year, but did we discuss the Jared Dudley interview that he did with, um, on the ringer podcast with Ben Bill Simmons? I'm not sure. Dude, it was amazing. He, he was just kind of giving the whole inside track on the Lakers and their championship run. And he was talking about how Rondo, like he, other than LeBron, he's never seen anyone who studies film and prepares as well as Rondo. And Rondo kind of called this team film room meeting and was talking about how like James Harden, when he's dribbling to his right, he always shoots after his third dribble. And just like, if he looks back to his left, he's going to do this or he's going to do that. And it's like, just to get that granular with it is really cool. Mm -hmm. And so Rondo, like picking up on those little things, I feel like that can help a team so much. And that's why he's won what four championships in his career. Of course, you know, playing alongside hall of famers Mm -hmm. helps too, but you need 
need those kind of guys. That's the kind of guy I want to like learn from. That's the kind of guy that needs to do these little things on ESPN.com and teach you, teach you stuff because I would be so fascinated by that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm glad he did the interview. Like Jared Dudley, you know, they, he was returning to the Lakers and Rondo presumably might have gone back too. So you probably shouldn't give those secrets away in an yeah. interview, but I was really glad he did. And you should go back and listen to it because it's, it's really cool to kind of hear some of that insight. I would love to go back and listen to it. Uh, what do you think about a couple of these buyouts, specifically LaMarcus Aldridge to the Nets and Andre Drummond to the Lakers? So I think that they're both huge moves, you know, specifically for the Lakers, just to tread water for a little bit. They're fighting for seeding in the West, just trying to stay afloat while AD is out and LeBron's out for, I think, another five or six weeks with that high ankle sprain. So they're just trying to tread water. I don't know, you know, if they get deep into the playoffs, how much Andre Drummond's really going to play for them, especially if they get into the finals with a team that plays small ball. But that's a big move. Uh, But what I really want to talk about with you is LaMarcus Aldridge in the Nets, because my question now for you is, who is the ideal Nets lineup? Does LaMarcus Aldridge Aldridge step in for Blake Griffin, or does Joe Harris come out? Because you got to go with Kyrie, KD, and Harden down Mm -hmm. the stretch, but who's your four and five? I think I would rather have only one of those two guys out there. I don't really know which one. I'm not sure it makes much of a difference. Probably LaMarcus Aldridge, because he's a little bit better floor spacer and then joe harris i think joe harris has to be out there because yeah, he'll hit threes he, he plays good d yeah you have to he, the death lineups are about nest lineup nest lineups are about having shooters and spreading the floor and having just like you know the whole team being switchable just all this kind of like creates chaos for the defense i think that joe harris has to be in there so i'm going the big three joe harris and lamarcus aldridge Okay, I agree with you on that. And it's just, it's kind of interesting because if they match up with a team like, say, the Lakers or the Clippers in the finals, like we just mentioned, can Andre Drummond play against those guys? Like He can play against LaMarcus Aldridge, who is, just like Blake Griffin, kind of a bum now. Yeah. yeah. See, I, I disagree with you there. Blake Griffin had 17 the other night. Guy's elite. He only Bro, played like 20 minutes. He's just catching lobs. Anybody can do that. Well, KD's out, so it's not like he's he's the Draymond of the team playing with like three Hall of Famers. He's playing with like one and a half Hall of Famers with James Harden and Kyrie. Oh, so Blake Griffin, goodness. dude, he's he's gonna revive his career a little bit there. And I know he's got an easier job than he did with the Pistons, but he, I promise you, has not been trying at all with the Pistons the last few years. Would you? N- no, probably not. But <laughs> but he's, I don't know. I'm. I've said enough about Blake Griffin. I'm, I'm retiring from talking about him. <laughs> Fair enough. And then a, a couple other moves I mentioned. Aaron Gordon to the Nuggets, just providing some athleticism, some defense, a good, I guess, decent you know, two-way wing. It's big for them to try and take that next step in the Western Conference playoffs. Victor Oladipo to the Heat. I mean, the Heat struggled a little bit out of the gate. They're trying to get back to the NBA Finals, defend their Eastern Conference crown. And I just think that's a big addition for them. I completely agree with you. It is a big addition for them. He has been very good when he plays this year. He's one of those guys that I feel like can fit with most teams just because he can kind of bring a little bit of everything. He's averaging 21, five and five so far this year. That's going to be valuable for any team. Yeah, that'll play. So we were about what? Halfway through 60% of the way through NBA season. Yeah, over halfway. Yeah. So you've got LeBron and AD still out with injuries. KD still out. So you've got some, you know, interesting things floating out there. We'll, we'll see how it goes down the stretch. Yeah. Still some congestion in the standing. So lots of teams can move up and down in the seating. We'll see what happens. Oh yeah. All right. So let's move on to the NFL. 
Big news this week on the trade front, the San Francisco 49ers traded the 12th overall pick to move up to the number three spot from the Miami Dolphins. What do you think about that? The 49ers, I mean, they got to be going after a quarterback, right? So I think everybody's first thought, including mine, was yes, they're 100% going for a quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is going to go number one. Rumor right now is that the Jets really like Zach Wilson from BYU at number two. And so everyone kind of presumed that this was going to be Justin Fields at number three, right? Justin Fields or Trey Lance, one of the two. But then today, everyone got kind of thrown off because Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch came out and said, no, Jimmy G is our guy. He gives us the best chance to win this year. We want to draft a rookie quarterback still, but have him kind of learn under someone else, a vet, until he's ready to go. And so I kind of believe them, I guess. The one thing that's kind of a caveat to all this is I understand that when you have a quarterback under contract and then you make a move like this that appears to be a quarterback draft pick, everybody then knows that you have no leverage and so they're going to offer you less for Jimmy G. So this could be kind of an attempt to gain some leverage back in order to get higher bids for Jimmy G, but I kind of believe them that they're going to hold on to him and still draft one of these young guys and see what happens. Yeah, I, I don't believe that they're holding on to Jimmy G. I, like you said, I think that's just a leverage game. Like you cut the legs out from under your quarterback. You're not just going to be like, all right, yeah, just give us a seventh rounder for him and he's yours. Like it just doesn't work that way. But what I think is really interesting about this is Mac Jones. You saw all this talk? Tell me about it. So Chris Sims came out and he said that if you're going to move on from Jimmy G, make this huge move, you know, giving up three first rounders to move up to number three and take a quarterback, Kyle Shanahan doesn't want someone who wants, he's going to have a red shirt year. He wants someone who can win now, like they're one year removed from the Super Bowl. And he was suggesting that that guy is Mac Jones, just ready to run NFL style, pro style offense, you know, dishing the ball out to receivers, leaning on that 49ers running game. But I don't know, like Chris Sims, whenever I see him say anything, I kind of dismiss it because he's just one of those like hot take guys. Yeah, what does Major Apple have to say? (laughs) For real. That's what I Former Texas quarterbacks. Yeah, he, he just kind of says things to get attention for the most part, but he does have a little bit of credibility on this one because I think he played with Kyle Shanahan at Texas and I think they're friends. Yes, he did play with Kyle Shanahan, I'm pretty sure, because Kyle Shanahan and Chris Sims were both there right before Vince Young. Yeah. Yeah. That checks out. Yeah. Um, and then I, I don't know if you mentioned this when you were talking about, did you say something about the pro day, how uh, Kyle Shanahan I, and I John didn't. Lynch? I didn't, but talk about that. Okay. I thought that's where you were going when you mentioned them earlier, but they decided to attend Alabama and Mac Jones's pro day instead of Ohio State's. So what does that tell you? Like maybe they know they're taking Mac Jones. Maybe they know they're taking Justin Fields, so they don't need to go see him. I don't know. Maybe someone else pointed that out too, that they were thinking that it meant Trey Lance was the pick because he's already had his pro day and Justin Fields hasn't. So like, why would they decide to make the move then when Justin Fields hasn't even shown out for them yet? So yeah, it's, it's very confusing. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure which direction this is going, but I like the drama of it. Yeah. And, and so they have odds now, like you said, Trevor Lawrence consensus number one overall, it's becoming a consensus that Zach Wilson's going number two to the Jets. So the odds for the number three pick the favorite is now Mac Jones at plus 140. Is it really? Yeah. On what? What are you looking at? Yeah, so I originally saw on Twitter that Mac Jones became the favorite, so I googled the odds earlier. I can't remember if it was Bovada. It was one of the main sites, but Mac Jones is plus 140, then Justin Fields plus 160, Trey Lance plus 175. So it's pretty tight up there, kind of a toss-up. Nobody really seems to know, but thought it was really interesting that Mac Jones is the favorite. Yeah, that is shocking to me because that's out of nowhere. Is there a chance, I know you've never agreed with this because I know that McShay and Kuyper have both come out now and and predicted four quarterbacks of the top four picks. Are you still against that? Do you still think that's not going to happen? I 
don't think it's going to happen without a trade. I, I don't think the Falcons are going quarterback. Really? I, I really don't. I think oh, that. Oh man! So Arthur Smith, who they hired as their head coach, he came in. He pulled uh, his new defensive coordinator Dean Pease out of retirement. Like you don't come out of retirement to coach a rebuilding team. I just I think that they're going to make the mistake of trying to win now. They just restructured Matt Ryan's contract, which pretty much locks him in through 2023. Like they could take a quarterback, but then what's the point of keeping Matt Ryan? Like just trade him. But then what other move makes them a win now team? What do you mean? Like what other draft pick makes them a win now team? No, it doesn't. But if they think that they can be and they try to be, that's psychotic. Well, I hope I hope for the Falcons fans' sakes that they take a quarterback and yeah, <laughs> yes, I'm with you. But I mean, at this point, it's pretty much a lock that the top three are going to be quarterbacks. So it's super possible. But yeah, as of right now, I don't think the Falcons are going to do it. Well, we'll see. It's coming up before we know it next month. A little bit over a month away, or is it a month away? Yeah, right I guess. About. Well, it would be four weeks from tomorrow. It's cool. April 28th. Is round one. Let's go. Let's get it. Looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. Big time. So that's kind of the news out of the NFL in terms of trades and players and all that. The other news that came out the other day, they're moving to the 17-game schedule. I've been against this for a long time. I hate it. And I hate it, too. There's, there's no extra bye week either. I have no idea why the players agreed to this and how this got negotiated, but I'm out. Like, why is 16 not enough? 16 is plenty. This is every league always forever they always want more games because of more money it's this is the worst one that's ever happened because of player safety like it's one thing for major league baseball to go to from 154 to 150 or sorry 154 to 162 it's eight games but it's baseball so they're not as likely to get hurt but an extra football game is a lot like that's a that's a toll on their body they already take a big enough beating throughout the year i don't like it at all yeah i mean i get it cash is king everyone just wants to make a little bit more money but where does it stop like 16 was fine 16 was fine let's go back already seriously but i i have a stat that i want to throw at you and i found this to be astonishing i don't know if you saw this or not but so the nfl they used to play a 14 game regular season back when the dolphins went 14 and 0 and then 17 and 0 to win the super bowl they moved to the 16 game schedule in 1978 and so 1978 through 2020 was 16 games and the Chicago Bears will finish the 16 game schedule era without a 4,000 yard quarterback. Wow. That's bad. They've never had a quarterback throw for 4,000 yards in a season. That's pretty bad. Every other franchise has, it has to be right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and of course you're not going to be doing it back in the seventies or even like the early eighties. The the game has changed. But the last 20 years. Last 20 years. That's nuts. Yeah. That's, that's really bad. For a little bit of context, like you don't even have to be a good quarterback to throw for 4,000 yards anymore. Like Jameis Winston, the year he threw for 30 interceptions through 5,000 yards. Oh yeah. Yeah. Lots of guys. Everyone does it now. It's like oh, yeah. Dak Prescott would have done it through like six games had he gotten staying healthy last season. <laughs> yeah, seriously. He had 4,900 the year before. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, you've got guys like Derek Carr doing it with ease. Kirk Cousins, I think, breaks it every year oh, now. Yeah, he has to. Yeah, that's yeah. that's really bad. Yeah, okay. that's really bad. Another reason why I don't like the, the schedule changing and the number of games changing is because it does mess up stats all-time stats like I like to be able to compare players from different eras in terms of their numbers and this makes it harder to do because these guys are going to put up bigger numbers because they have more games yeah exactly I hate how it totally throws off my calibration of like people accept what a thousand yards is a good rushing season Mm -hmm. now it's like what I I don't even care unless they get a thousand eighty yeah exactly it's yeah all right well we've we've agreed that we don't like the 17 game schedule so let us know what you think we're against it 
So moving on to our next topic of discussion, Major League Baseball already back. Kind of feels weird, but it's not. It's now like the uh, inauguration into spring, kind of, once you get Major League Baseball and Masters and all that in the mix. So we've got opening day on Thursday, April 1st. Any kind of overarching thoughts as we approach baseball season? Well, I felt like spring was inaugurated the other day when I walked out to my car and it was completely covered in pollen. But oh, yes, boy. this is the yep. second inauguration of spring. But one thing that I wanted to ask you, because I saw a head about this and I thought it was an interesting question. So Mike Trout has been the undeniably the best player in baseball for the past nine years. He is turning 30 years old during the season. He had his worst hitting year last year since he did when he was 19 years old. And so at least it at least brings up the question who is now the best player in Major League Baseball or who's going to be going forward. So I just want to know who your thoughts are or what your thoughts are and who the best player in Major League Baseball is going to be this season and maybe the next couple of seasons? That's a good question. And there are a few guys who immediately come to mind for best player this season. I'm going to lean towards Mookie Betts Mm -hmm. just because he's incredible. He was amazing throughout the playoffs last year. He's an established veteran. I don't see any kind of... I don't want to call it a sophomore slump from some of these younger guys, but I don't know. Some of the guys who are less established than Mookie might have a little bit of a slump and namely like Fernando Tatis. I just, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I'm going to go with Mookie, especially given the lineup that he's in. I just think he's going to put up insane numbers, but in terms of like more long-term somebody who could become like the next Mike Trout and be the best player in baseball for like eight years, I'd go maybe like Juan Soto. I hate that we agree. Yeah. yeah. I knew <laughs> well, you were going to say that. Juan Soto's up there. It could be Acuna. I, I'm hedging my emotions a little bit by not picking him. I would love for it to be him. He could flirt with, you know, 40-40 this year. So it could be Ronnie. And then uh, uh, another timeline a little bit farther out, Luis Robert. Okay. You like that. Uh, I mean, that's cool. I like. He's a beast. He's yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. And we, we mentioned Tatis too. So throw yeah. him in the mix. Those are my guys. Yeah. So if you're going to go more established, I think the, the two guys that are kind of potential guys who've been around for a while would be Mookie and Christian Yelich, who is still a complete monster, just one of the prettiest wings you'll ever see. And then you already mentioned the other guys that I was going to bring up, which are Fernando Tatis Jr. But like you said, still not exactly established. You never know after that rookie year what's going to happen when pitchers adjust. That happens in baseball all the time. Guys come up, they crush it. Pitchers watch some tape, they adjust. And then it depends on that next adjustment by the hitter, whether they can kind of fill fill the holes in their swing. So I think Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be incredible. I'm not sure he's going to take the leap to best player in baseball this year. Ronald Acuna, you know, I love him as a as our hometown brave guy, but I think he still has just a little bit too much strikeout in his game. He, he swings and misses a little bit too much for me. I think Juan Soto is not talked about enough yet. That guy's like Ted Williams. Yeah, he's, he's going to be insane. Like, he is insane. And he's going to be the next guy to get like a $500 million deal, isn't he? He has to be. He's 20, I think he's 22. He hit 351 with a 490 OBP last year. It's like Barry, prime Barry Bond stuff. 490? 490. I didn't know that. Yeah, and like a 620 something slugging percentage. He, he OPSed over 1100 last year. He's a monster. Okay, so this is actually a really good time to ask you. I have the number one overall pick in our fantasy baseball draft on Wednesday, and so you, as the goat, if you had number one this year, who would you take? That's a little. That's di- funny because that, that's a little bit different question. You know, like it it's is, always weird, but it's one of the guys we're talking about. It is one of the guys we're talking about. So I need your answer. I I don't think I would take Juan Soto with the first pick in the draft. Is it average or OBP? OBP. Ooh, maybe that, that brings it a little bit back. So I was going to say, I with how scarce stolen bases are now in baseball, 
I think it'd be really nice to get somebody who brings you some steals early in the draft when it's available and Juan Soto's not that guy, but his OBP is just so sick. Is it weekly? Yeah, it's weekly head to head. Mm. I mean, Ronnie's projected for like 40, 30. Yeah. So I think a I think lot of people have him as the number one guy. Some have Mookie. I think it'd be, I think it'd be Ronnie for me. I think it'd be Acuna for me. I think Juan Soto is a better baseball player right now than Acuna as much as it hurts my heart to say that. But as far as fantasy asset, given the stolen bases, I think I would go Acuna. Okay. Thank you. Lock it in. That's all I needed. There you go. All right. Well, that's it for the, uh, I guess, number one player in baseball talk. Let's talk number one team in baseball. I think one of the huge stories going into this season is the Dodgers. They won the World Series finally in that shortened season last year. Finally got Clayton Kershaw his ring. They're the favorite to repeat this year, plus 350 to win it. I think the Yankees are right behind them at plus 600. So, Pretty heavy favorite for the Dodgers. Yeah. They added Trevor Bauer this offseason, which should not be legal. What do you think about them, and who, who do you think their biggest challengers could be? They added Trevor Bauer, and then they also, in a way, added David Price because he's never played for them yet after opting out of last season. So that team is just... I don't know what to say. Their lineup from top to bottom is nasty. You got to remember too that they had a rising prospect last year who didn't really pan out last year, but is still going to be really good in Gavin Lux. So it just adds another guy to that lineup. Yeah, and, and Ginger Guard Dustin May is only going to get better. Julio yes. Urias, like, yes. Cody Bellinger had a down year last year, yeah. and we've seen what he can do. He's an MVP. It's just like I don't, I don't know, barring injury, if anyone can contend with them. I mean, I guess it's got to be like the Yankees because they're the only team that can throw out a lineup like that and match up with them. I don't I don't know who it's going to be. That's my best bet. The other one is the Padres are sick. I do love the Padres. The Padres are awesome. We mentioned Tatis, his running mate, Manny Machado. They're one of the best hitting duos in all of baseball. And then they added Hugh Darvish and Blake Snell to that starting pitching rotation. I mean, they're going to be sick. They're going to be battling for that NL West division crown. So that'll be a lot of fun to watch. And then if we're talking about teams who could potentially take down the Dodgers, we got to mention our Braves. I mean, had him down 3-1 in the NLCS last year. So the Braves, having added Charlie Morton, they had a huge re-signing of Marcelo Zuna to that four-year $64 million deal. Love the big bear sticking around. So yeah, look out for Dodgers, Padres, Braves. Yeah, Braves should be really good. Bring back basically everybody. Added Charlie Morton, like you said, and then Drew Smiley, who's like could be a solid guy in the rotation, depending on what version of him we get and whether he can stay healthy. These young pitchers adding another year, getting Mike Soroka back, like the Braves could be very dangerous as well. Yeah, Ian Anderson came on strong in the playoffs, but you know, full offseason program. Yep. Starting the year in the rotation, he could be really good too. Bryce Wilson threw a dime last year in the playoffs. You never well, maybe we can get something out of Kyle Wright, who's a former really high draft pick. We'll see. Yeah, it's really fun like when you have all of these top five, top ten picks and you take pictures with all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Finally seeing these guys start to pan out and like fill your rotation. So now's the time for the Braves. I'm with you. Let's get a Braves opening day is on Thursday, April Fool's Day. Let's go, Braves. Let's go. Get your chop on. All right. Well, that's all for baseball did you want to talk a little bit of UFC before we go yeah let's do it so we did have UFC 259 this past week and really just a couple of big fights wanted to talk about lead story was the heavyweight championship it was the second fight between Francis Ngannou and Stipe Miocic if you haven't seen him fight which I think most people who've watched this probably have he is the most single most terrifying unarguably man that has ever stepped foot in a UFC octagon. He has more power than any person should legally be allowed to carry in his hands. And as good as Stipe was, he just couldn't, his chin couldn't hold up to it. Uh, got ferociously knocked out and almost tore his knee up in the process because he was unconscious on his feet and fell kind of badly backwards. Uh, but Ngannou is the type of guy that I'm just not sure, given how he looked 
if anyone beats him in the near future. So when you say Ngannou is the most terrifying man really to ever walk the earth, especially step inside the octagon, do you mean like just in terms of appearance or like also just ability to beat you in a fight? Ability to beat you in a fight because when he like gets outside of the octagon and just talks, he's like the nicest guy ever. He's like a big teddy bear. But then when he steps inside there, it's like, what I'm basically saying is if I had to choose one person to not ever have to get in there with, it would be him. Yes, that's fair. I, I'm just thinking about other guys who I'd be equally terrified to get in there with. And I'm thinking back to Brock Lesnar, like before everyone knew he sucked at fighting kind of in the context of UFC, like the guy who's just an absolute monster with his traps, like coming up to his eyeballs yes. and just with a sword tattooed down the middle of his stomach. Like that's pretty scary too. But back to Ngannou, he's pretty incredible. I'm really holding out for that Johnny Bones fight with him. Do you think that's going to happen? The UFC wants it to happen, but I'm not sure that the two parties, as of today, are seemingly willing to meet in the middle in terms of money. John Jones appears to be very frustrated with the contract talks and even briefly tweeted before deleting it today that he wanted to be released from the UFC. I think it's too big of a money fight for them to not let it happen, but right now it seems to be in jeopardy. But yeah, I'm not sure as much as, you know, I was on John Jones from the beginning when he was like 21 years old. I saw him fight first when he was on an undercard. I was like, this guy's going to be a monster. So I've always liked John Jones, but I don't know how anyone beats Ngannou. You didn't see the fight. So like Ngannou didn't start fighting that long ago. So he's kind of new to the sport in a lot of ways and is just learning what he's doing. And the first fight he lost to Stipe because he got really tired and got taken down and just kind of got gassed out and, and lost a decision. In this fight, he was patient. He was calm during the entire time. Stipe shot for a takedown. Francis stuffed it, took his back and started like pummeling him. And then like a minute later through a head kick, you're like, he's learned things and this is frightening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get that. So I guess my question for you, like we'll see if Bones ends up fighting in Ganu, but why not throw three guys in there? Like when's the UFC going to take a page out of WWE's book and start <laughs> going with like triple threat matches? You don't have to go all the way to like a Royal Rumble, but like a six man elimination chamber, just start with like six guys. As soon as one guy gets knocked out, Herb Dean just comes and like drags their corpse <laughs> out and the other guy, five guys keep fighting until one standing. Did you know that the original UFC were tournaments all held in one night? No. Yes. How savage is that? Yeah, so like UFC 1, Hoist Gracie, who you've heard of, beat a guy. Jiu-Jitsu guy? Yes, yep. submitted a guy in like a minute. And then like 45 minutes later, fought another guy who had won his first match and submitted no him. And then had thir- th- it was an eight-man tournament, three fights in one night. So this is like Kamzat Jemayev's dream. Yes, it is. Kamzat is living in the wrong era. If he lived <laughs> in the 90s UFC, he'd be living his best life. That's truly insane. It I, is. I was kind of joking making the comparison <laughs> to WWE because that's like half fake. It's not full fake. It's half fake. And so like you can control how much people are actually getting injured. But the UFC, what did it take? Like some halfway qualified doctor to be like, dude, this is the <laughs> yes. worst idea ever. They didn't have weight classes. So like Horse Gracie's fighting like, he fought Ken Shamrock. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. But yeah, so luckily we've, we've kind of moved on from that. The other guy I wanted to mention really quickly because he's rising star in the business is Sugar Sean O'Malley. You might have seen him with the tattoos and the crazy hair. More importantly than that, he's a really good fighter with a really fun fighting style. Throws all kinds of crazy strikes, spinning spinning back kicks and whatever. He had a savage knockout. It looked a lot like Francis Ngannou's actually just with guys that were 130 pounds smaller. But uh, Which is funny. I didn't think about that. Francis Ngannou weighed in almost exactly twice what Sugar Sean weighed in at. What weight class are they in? 270? So Nganu is a heavyweight, so the limit's 265. Nganu weighed in at 263, and Sugar Sean fights at 135. So wow. it's twice, twice as big. Yikes. That's wild. But yeah, Sugar Sean, keep an eye on him. He's going to get 
a much bigger fight next time. Even though Thomas Almeida was a good opponent, he's going to be a rising star in in the championship contention in the picture, at least within the next couple fights, if he keeps on winning. Love that. Well, Landon will be back soon with his UFC underdog of the week picks, but I think that's about all we got for today. That's it. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. Don't forget to follow us on Apple and Spotify. Leave us some ratings and reviews. We will catch y'all next week. Have a good day.